Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. Welcome, Melissa. We're so glad you're here today. Good morning, Lori, and thank you for having me. I'm always excited to be here. Well, it's been such a wonderful journey these last five years. I was looking back and looking back at one of our original shows, which was back in 2016. And it's wow. it's been um, a lovely journey in being able to explore diversity and inclusion and the various ways that, that you have been offering education and support. And what I love is that you now have the Diversity Institute under your consulting umbrella of uh, Stanton Adams. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we do. And actually, the Diversity Institute is now an e-learning um, platform and a in-person um, site where people can come and learn. So we have a partnership with uh, – now I'm, their name is eluding me um, – Mount Covenant Church, downtown Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And um, we have that space available to us to have in-person trainings there. Oh, wonderful. We also have um, the Diversity Institute, which is being built as an online e-learning website where people can come to this platform, of course, with a free membership or with a paid membership and learn things around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I I know we usually have the first Saturday of the month dedicated to the Diversity Institute, but I'm really glad that you're joining us today um, and that we thought through how important it would be to honor the 20 years from um, 9-11 because uh, the world changed and and in some ways our, our views of multicultural and diversity really were tested. 20 years Mm -hmm. ago um, and continue to be tested in new and powerful ways um, as we move forward. And and we just wanted to take a little time out today. I know we normally do our racial healing and are going through that wonderful workbook, but I'm glad that we've decided to dedicate today to reflecting on 9-11 as well as some of the programs folks can be thinking about to to support their journey in looking at anti-racism. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's a great idea to to take a minute to uh, recognize um, September 11th and the many, many um, people whose whose lives were lost and the people whose lives were impacted, right? Not only, you know, I think the thing about September 11th that stands out the most to me is how it brought our country together. There was unity. At that moment. The unity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, there was no longer, like, in that moment, there was no black or white or Hispanic. There was American. You were American at that time. But at the same time, there was also some fears that got ignited about the Muslim faith. I mean, there was unity, but it wasn't, it did not extend to everyone, there was to still groups. That's there, right. there was still a sense of this is uh, my tribe and this is not part of my tribe and my tribe has been attacked. Versus, um, you know, really, I, I, I mean, I love the fact that we had a lot of unity politically. I mean, people came mm-hmm. together and and we saw that there was one cause. But I was disheartened uh, by the Muslim um, 
fear, fear of Muslims that that created um, yes such anxiety yes. Um, and distrust and challenges um, for many years yeah. and continues in many ways. Do you do you remember where you were? I mean, you were in Brooklyn, weren't you? At that time? Well, I actually was thinking about it. I was living in upstate New York, oh, okay. and I was working with a manufacturing company. And, you know, it's interesting because you don't realize how people might live in New York City versus New York State. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York State, upstate in Albany at the time, and someone um, came to me in my office and said, Melissa, where is Chamber Street? And I said, it's uh, downtown Manhattan, because they knew I was from the city. And they said, well, something has just happened downtown Manhattan. How close is that to Brooklyn? And, you know, I said, well, What's happened? And we went into the conference room and they had the television on. And they, um, we sat there and we were watching as the planes wow. uh, collided into the buildings. And it was a feeling of powerlessness that, I, that came over me because I was in upstate New York and I was not able to be there with my family. And my mother and father were up in age. Um, I know that my um, sister was there as well. Um, My brothers were all down in New York. So it was really just this this wave of powerlessness that came over me. And you think about how fast can I get there? Right. Did did you make the journey? How fast can I get there? I did. I had to um, get to New York City. And it wasn't easy because everyone was trying to get to New York City. And the traffic heading out of town, going down to New York, was ridiculous. So I was sitting in traffic and I was listening to NPR News um, describe what was happening at um, Ground Zero. And I could, I remember just bawling in my car on the way down and not really being able to come to terms with the fact that some people that I know might be lost. Because remember, you couldn't even get a phone call into right. New York City. Right, I do City. remember that, yeah. And the the... the the towers came down, but the power came down too that day. And it was it was just really hectic and chaotic, right? right. So I finally, it, I forgot what day the towers came down, like what day of the week. Um, I think it was during the week on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And I finally made it down to New York City, to Brooklyn. Um, at the end of the week, around a Friday. And when I got there, my parents had been stuck at my sister's house, which was in Brooklyn. And my parents lived in the Bronx. And my father um, was dealing with diabetes, and we had to walk up. uh, He had to walk up these steps to get into my sister's apartment. She lived on, like, the sixth floor, and the elevators were out. So 
you could just imagine the, the chaos and the craziness that was going on in the way. People, but once I finally got to New York and got to, to make contact with my family and ensured that everyone was alive and safe, I kind of felt a little bit more um, at ease, but I was still very anxious during that time um, and very worried. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you went into the danger zone, you know, you, you and with good reason, yeah. you wanted to be with your family. But that took yeah. a, we, we had no idea if there were going to be more attacks, where the attacks were going to be. Um, and, you know, you, you went right into it. Um, and yeah, I have to and, believe and, it know, was you could still feel the aftermath in the air of what right. had happened. And as I'm driving down, I hear about the plane crash in Philadelphia. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Well, near, and, it, near, yeah. Right. And and like things were happening around the country, and and we didn't know what was really going on. Right. And people so, couldn't. They shut down all the airlines. Um, at that point, you couldn't right. take flights. People were scrambling to get cars to get out of town because, you know, we, we didn't know. Would there be other and where would they be and where right. were the top targets? Well, and it then, did change. It did change who we were at that moment. Yes, and, it did. And, I was thinking the same thing. And I, I'd like to continue this in, in our next segment in looking at racism. Uh, what did it look like after 9-11? And what are some of the things that, that you did to support anti-racism after the attack? Because at that point, you weren't doing diversity work. And I have to believe... No, I was not doing diversity work at that time. And and what inspired after that time for you to consider what could that look like? So we'll be back. Um, there's a few commercials that are coming up, but stay with us. And we'll continue to discuss uh, racism... Um, and how 9-11 impacted our, our social reality and what we can do to keep being an anti-racist advocate. So we'll be right back. Join us. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And I'm glad you've made the connection. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and today our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute, and I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Lori. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing about your experience in um, the reality of when 9-11-2001 hit and um, mm -hmm. what your journey was to go back to New York um, mm -hmm. after, after the attack. And we're encouraging folks, if you want to join in and comment about um, your experience uh, in looking at what happened in 9-11, if you want to share where you were and how um, how racism took on a different um, different aspect in terms of, you know, when we were talking before, Melissa, you've, you've shared that you don't think that this was new to have folks be... Um, have racism towards the Muslim faith, but it became oh, no. more apparent. Right. Racism against or um, xenophobia, I guess, mm -hmm. right? right? Sort of a, a form of xenophobia or um, I guess this hate against other religions. Mm -hmm. it's, it has a long history. Yeah. And when we think about 
um, the types of behaviors, attitudes, and ideas that people have about religions that are different from theirs, we start to think about how far back that goes. Yeah. Um, and attacks against people who specifically are Muslim has a long history because people are are always afraid of what they don't know. Yes. And the one thing that I think is hard for us to understand is the culture of others. And people are afraid of or fearful of what they don't know. And what right. you don't or even know understanding that there are right. multi-cultures um, and yeah. being able to get outside of our own culture as the only culture, but really understanding that exactly. what what culture and, and the richness of learning about other cultures. I know for yes. me, as you bring up um, faith base and, and the challenges of that, um, I one of the things that I definitely wanted to do after 9-11 was I, I was a Sunday school teacher at the time. And I, I thought about what, what did I want to bring to the lesson that day? I wanted to just scrap whatever the lesson had been and be able to talk about it. And um, when, when we did um, take a little time out uh, to talk about it, what we did is we, we really focused on the Muslim faith as being um, a faith of love. And to yeah. be able to share that that Muslims believe that God is so loving that He created love in our hearts, and it became an instinct for us, and so that our love, true love, is really part of God's love, and to be able to understand that this was a faith of love, um, and the kids I, responded really well to that. I, I mean, there was some confusion. Um, but I didn't want them to be confused with the act of terror and the faith of love, uh, and and that was my goal. You know, how, how do I help them not? You know, they were all seven or eight years old. Go away, you know, thinking that we have to live in terror of the faith. Um, what mm-hmm. happened was abhorrent, and what people did were evil. But that was not necessarily part of a faith, and and that was important for me to be able to share. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all have, you know, after 9-11 in 2001, as the years progressed, we learned more about what happened that day. Mm -hmm. And what we thought happened didn't happen, and, and what we didn't think happened, happened, and there was a lot of conspiracy that was um, a part of that, right? Going to war in Afghanistan, and we're still there um, today, 20 years later. We're just now getting our troops out of there. The lives that were lost due to what happened on September 11th, when September 11th could have been prevented, Right. So there is a lot of stuff that happens. Well, communication. Where... Yeah, I think that the we've improved communications amongst um, because it, it's tragic to look back and see all the different signs of you know even connected here in Minnesota with the um, pilots being um, questioned as to <laughs> why they didn't really care about landing. <laughs> they cared about taking off but not landing. I mean, there's a whole series of things and. And and right. I a lot of finger pointing. I'm hoping that we can take some lessons out of all this. You know, where are we right. today in terms of? Um, I mean, the conspiracy theories that started then. I think 
blew up into other conspiracy theories and so that we live with a lot of different conspiracy theories. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the Racial Healing Handbook Mm -hmm. by Annalise Singh, relearning history. Right. Right. We were there, and we still have to relearn what really happened that day. Mm -hmm. Right? So we need to always look at history and try and pull it apart to figure out where we went wrong so that we can correct, course correct. Um, and I like that you you brought the idea of racism to this conversation, Lori, because being um, against people because of their religion and treating them a certain way because of their religion, the form of racism. Absolutely. You know, and the history of even Minnesota in welcoming people that are different than a lot of Minnesotans. Uh, but that's right. been our tradition is to to welcome immigrants. But we've not always welcomed them nicely. <laughs> and and how right. can we go to school and relearning the history on that? I, I know that you felt very strongly about um, how Somali um, refugees were treated and how we want to do that differently uh, when we're welcoming we the Afghan do a better job. refugees. That's right. Yeah. We, we've got to do a better job. So you have a lot of folks who are – Like, really don't treat the Somali community properly. They are guests in our country, and now they are members of state, right? They have become citizens of Minnesota. And their vote counts, their ideas count, and we should value them as a community, right? But that has not always been the case in Minnesota, where our Somali community does not feel as if they belong sometimes. Sometimes they don't feel welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I have some Somali friends, and specifically Somali women will tell you that they have been attacked walking down the streets of Minnesota. They have been verbally attacked, physically attacked. Um, treated improperly in Minnesota stores and retail spaces and restaurants, right, where people will literally tell a woman, you need to take that off as far as her, her sorry job. or her, yeah. her job, yeah. right? Um, or why are you letting your husband tell you what to do? And that is not, the, the women who decide to wear the hijab wear that as a way to honor themselves mm-hmm. has nothing to do with anyone else right and um i just think that people should learn more because the muslim like you were telling the children in in bible study the, the muslim religion is a very beautiful religion and they they honor themselves and um i think the thing i i really am at and admirable about that um, religion is that they pray three times a day mm-hmm. and they do it, you know, on a religiously, they, they have to, and no other religion is the, you know, the followers that devoted <laughs> um, to pray three times a day. They stop whatever they're doing. And they pray. It's a discipline. Right. And it's a discipline, that's, it's a discipline. that comes yeah. out of a love and a dedication, I believe. Well, it's estimated that there are 500 Afghans that are currently living in Minnesota. Um, but we're seeing that that population obviously can grow. Um, 
were, were there's one reset, uh, refugee resettlement agency in the state that's already facilitated um, 13 Afghans um, two weeks ago, and we're continuing to accept. The Minnesota Department of Human Services has also pledged to accept 65 Afghans with special immigrant visas. And we they have programs and grants for translators, interpreters, and other workers, um, and all good things. Sometimes people, yeah. you know, are uh, happy that we're we're doing things. Minnesota has a reputation of of being a place that that welcomes immigrants. At least um, uh, we say that. We we I think we need to continue to work on what it means for all of us to commit to that. And sometimes yeah. I've had people say, well, what can I do? I know that folks are coming here, and I, and I wanted to make sure that we took a couple minutes here just to uh, share about if you do feel moved, uh, especially um, now that we're leaving Afghanistan um, as a force, um, that we welcome those who want to be here. Um, and so you can donate. There's the International Institute of Minnesota is a, a local refugee resettlement agency. Um, they do wonderful work. Um, there's Islamic Relief, which is an international aid agency. There's Lift Up, which is a nonprofit based in Hopkins that's raising funds to support refugees from Afghanistan. There's the Northwest Islamic Community Center in Plymouth, and it's collecting uh, donation supplies, gift cards, and um, they accept uh, donations uh, through PayPal or Venmo. Um, they also have um, an address. All of this is listed uh, on the Facebook page for Connections Radio Show. So if you'd like to go to the Connections Radio Show, there's a link um, that shows all the different places that you can donate. There's also references for legal resources. There's an international refugee assistance project that that helps with legal. And I want to make sure that I do a shout out to Afghan-owned businesses. Um, Ariana Kebab and the Hero Bistro um, is both an Afghan and Mediterranean restaurant in St. Louis Park. Um, they're wonderful. They're collecting funds for displaced Afghan refugees. Football Pizza is also also has Afghan food, um, and they're famous for their football-shaped pizzas. And the Khyber Pass Cafe, which is one of my favorite restaurants, um, of all restaurants, is an Afghan restaurant in St. Paul. It's been open since 1984, and they are still uh, in business, and they're doing takeout and curbside pickup only. So think about ways that you can make a difference. Um, think about ways that you can get connected uh, to the Afghan community as they um, – as they come through our uh, Minnesota portal and become part of our our fabric in our, our wonderful multicultural community. Wow, a lot of great, great advice. And with that, why don't we uh, go to commercial? But when we come back, I want to learn more uh, from you, Melissa, about your upcoming um, executive summit uh, for the Diversity Institute, which is next week. So I'm looking forward. And that's another powerful way that we can make a difference in being um, part of anti-racism. So Let's uh, let's go to break and come back and hear more about what you plan. I know you have three days of excellent programming online for folks who want to be a part of that. So we'll be right back after a few commercials. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
And today we are co-producing the show with the Diversity Institute, and I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director as my co-host. Melissa, we can find all sorts of cool things about the Diversity Institute on the StantonAdams.com website. Is that right? That's correct. And there are some events coming up that we are um, interested in having folks sign up to. Yes, please. Tell us about... um, the Diversity Institute's uh, coming up next week. There's some cool programs on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, as I understand. Yes, the Executive Summit on Diversity will be taking place on Monday, September 13th through Wednesday, September 15th. Um, it's in the mornings, so from 9 to 12.30 on those days, the 13th, 14th, and 15th. But what we'll be talking about is we'll be convening a couple of panels So on the first day, September 13th, we're talking uh, with leaders of organizations around the Twin Cities to talk about what they are doing or have done um, since the murder of George Floyd and the onset of COVID-19. And really just talking about where do we go from here. And then I think Tuesday, September 14th in the morning, we'll have from 9 to 12, we'll have It Takes a Village building global solidarity on your diversity journey. And we're talking to people who have uh, done some work on a global scale, and we're just learning from these folks, right? And then on Friday, we are also helping... Friday or Wednesday? I'm sorry, Wednesday. There we go. Wednesday, (laughs) September 15th, we are talking about how to create a diversity journey in 10 steps. Um, It's a framework for action. We're also going to be giving an award to Lifetime Fitness on Wednesday, September 15th, uh, because Lifetime has done some measurable work when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not too late to sign up for these events, and people can sign up for the days that they want to attend. We uh, will keep registration open during the event. So if you hear about it and and decide to um, sign up for it on Tuesday, you can still do that. What I love is the theme of this, where do we go from here? Um, Because it harkens back to my favorite book by Martin Luther King. Um, Where do we go from here? Community or chaos? Right. And I answered where do we go from here? Racial healing. Mm. Right. And yeah. I think that... And you that, know, creates, year, that creates community. Yeah. That's, that's right. community building is through that racial healing. Right. And, you know, we've been spending the year talking about racial healing. So I felt it was pretty apropos to uh, think about focusing the conference on racial healing. So on day one, we're, our panelists... Um, will help people understand how other leaders are dealing with and talking about the impacts of COVID, civil uprisings, riots, and the storming of the Capitol. Um, they'll under, you know, help leaders to understand the imperative for having authentic dialogue. We'll explore where do we go from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the participants can listen as leaders from a variety of backgrounds discuss racial healing. This gives us a chance to broaden our networks, too, um, of executives that are committed to leveraging diversity. I have a question for you about those leaders. Um, Sure. As as they're sharing, and I'm really looking forward to hearing their insights, there's been change that's occurred with all of this, especially this last year. This last year has sort of been 
kind of a microcosm of 20 years all pushed into one where we've, right. we've had to look at um, the health disparities. We've had to look at economic disparities. We've needed to look at social justice disparities. And we've had kind of a timeout that allows us to look at it more deeply because we can't go yep. out you know, as much. Um, you know, and it goes back and forth. It seems like if we haven't quite gotten enough of really understanding, COVID seems to give us an opportunity to, to have to reflect a little deeper, a little bit more. What changes do you hear in what they have been processing do you see for the future in terms of lessons learned? Are, are there some that, that you feel comfortable sharing in terms of what you see these leaders looking to create for the future that's different from what, what we have through this disruption of 20 and 21? I do. I see, um, I see this being a very interesting conversation. So we have um, Tom Steinmetz. He's the CEO of Washburn Center for Children. He'll be there on our panel. We will have Dr. Narita Hughes. She's the dean for the School of Business and Careers um, at North Hennepin Community College. Judy Halper is the chief executive officer of Jewish Family and Children's Services. Um, we'll have Jason Jackson. He's a HR diversity and inclusion consultant for Health Partners in Minneapolis. Um, I think these folks, and then we, and the day two panel, Habon Abdul, executive director and founder of Ayata Leeds. Um, we have Ipolito Mubiru, who is from Uganda, who's out of Uganda, who will be on that panel. Nick Alms is a local. He's uh, the executive director of Mosier. A, uh, it's a social enterprise with a mission of enabling employment equity for everyone, LGBTQ. Um, so we have a lot of great uh, leaders. And then on day three, we will have um, David uh, Patron Suave, who is the diversity director over at Lifetime Fitness, telling us how they, how they um, accomplished their great feats of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Lifetime has a lot of diversity on its executive leadership team, and um, it also has a diversity council. They've uh, started to make measurable growth when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they're actually receiving a Game Changers Award from the Diversity Institute this year. Cool. Cool. It'll be interesting to hear what they see for the vision of the future because it, it – yeah. the, the challenge is not understanding that there's chaos. It's um, understanding what does it mean to build community and right. what things – you know, what are – there are steps that can be taken. We, we can reimagine and revision the work world and I think – We've learned that we can work out of our home and we can look at work-life balance in a new way and we can look at what does it mean to be inclusive? Um, What does the Mm -hmm. business culture need to learn about um, accepting many cultures? I found in the work that I do with um, the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance that a company can do a very good job in recruiting, but they don't always know how to create an environment that's welcoming so that people want to stay. And, and I that's, think that's why the next I think, step. Yeah. I think that's why people should come to this conference mm-hmm. because on day three and 
all throughout, people are going to show us how they made measurable change. Mm-hmm. Um, but on day three, Lifetime Fitness is going to give people sort of a sneak peek into a framework that they use to help uh, exact change within the measurable change uh, within the organization. So this is going to be a great conference. People should really come out and check it out. And you can uh, sign up through going to statinadams.com? Yes, you can. Just go to stantonadams.com and you will register. You'll receive a, re- a confirmation with a link to the event. One of the things that I just want to share with the audience is that Stanton Adams for a long time has been dedicated to developing strategies to build leadership capacity and promote inclusion. And they've helped organizations move beyond just sort of a checking the box for diversity, equity, inclusion. And they make, uh, they make the opportunity more realistic and available for looking at sustainable change. And that's what I heard you say just a moment ago. Um, how do you support creating that brave space? Um, and I, if, if you're an organization that's looking for a guide, looking for support in helping to make those first steps for cultural awareness, to deepen your knowledge, or to practice skills in a learning environment, that's what both the Diversity Institute and the Stanton Adams uh, Consulting is all about. That's right. And that's great for organizations, but you also do work for individuals. So in our next segment, um, I'd love to hear more about uh, your program that you've been piloting, that you're now rolling out, the Foundations of Anti-Racism. So stay with us as Melissa shares with us um, how we as an individual um, can be part of a great educational opportunity in looking at Foundations of Anti-Racism. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And we've been reflecting on the 20 years uh, since 9-11-2001. Good morning. It's 9-11-2021, 20 years later. And in our first segment, we reviewed kind of, you know, where where we were. And then in the next segment, we looked at... um, what differences we want to make about racism. And I do encourage you to take a look at our Facebook page for Connections Radio Show. We do have an article that lists ways that you can make a difference in supporting Afghan refugees. And as we look at the broad context of context of racism, uh, Melissa shared with us about the Diversity Institute's Executive Summit Uh, next week. Great way for you and for your organization to be thinking about what what are the strategies? What are the ways to be successful um, and inclusive? And what's the future of inclusion? And and how can that be made more real? Great panelists. Uh, Highly encourage you all to take a look at the StantonAdams.com for the Diversity Institute's registration. And in this segment, Melissa, I would love to have you tell us about ways as individuals we can sign up for programs that you offer, especially um, the new program that you've been rolling out, uh, the Foundations of Anti-Racism. So tell us more about that. Sure. So, you know, the series was really started after um, the following the murder of George Floyd. So following the murder of George Floyd, um, and all of the worldwide protests, 
we noticed an influx of commitments to anti-racism. And although people make those commitments and there were a lot of online reading lists, we only had scratched the surface when it came to making the change we all want to see. So I decided to come up with a way to help people who were wondering what can I do as an individual to combat, you know, large and deep-seated histories of racism and oppression. So what we thought of was the Foundations of Anti-Racism course. So, you know, we've really been doing this for around 10 years, and we've been taking individuals on their own journey toward equity and inclusion. So we designed a three-month intensive program to help deepen folks' understanding of race and racism so they can grow from a bystander to a change maker. Now, the program, it's combined uh, online learning with four live Zoom sessions to support them on their personal and emotional journey towards racial healing. We run four sessions. They're all live on Zoom, but you get homework before, you get pre-work, and you get homework after. And it's a cohort-based learning opportunity. So the group that you're with, you'll um, meet with your group and a facilitator for small group discussions, come back to big group and talk about some of that. But it really also includes journaling from um, Dr. Annalise Singh's book, uh, Racial Healing, where you get to journal. And it's just, a. I know people have really loved doing that part of it. So, and it, who's the program for? So it's perfect for people who are working professionals, hoping to get a little knowledge or skills and practical techniques to increase their cultural competency. Um, someone who has a personal commitment to anti-racism and they're looking for a program to guide them on their journey. Um, it could be for someone who wants to start making a career change to become a diversity practitioner or just someone who wants to be a part of a cohort committed to a lasting systemic change. Um, because race and racism impacts us all, albeit in different ways, you know, um, we've designed our foundation program around the concept of racial healing, as described in the Racial Healing Handbook by Dr. Annalise Singh. And you've had a chance to pilot this a few times. What are some surprises that you've had or key learnings that, that came out of doing the first few pilots? I think the key learnings that, that really came out is that people really felt like they had a safe space to have this conversation about race. And that that safe space was very um, refreshing for folks. Um, you're not talking about um, a very, this is not a light subject. It's a very. Well, very, it's a difficult um, subject throughout the world. It's one of the most yes. difficult discussions to have. And I think people yes. are afraid that they're going to say something wrong or they're going to, you know, and, and then, you know, they'll be shamed. And what I love yeah. about your approach, Melissa, is that you've always loved people up and you accept yeah. where people are with grace and give them yeah. the opportunity to, you know, accept their first thought because that's how our brain works. And sometimes we're tribal and we, we have initial fears that come up. But the second thought is something that, that we can have a skill and be coached and nurtured and loved up yeah. um, so that we can be more brave in creating our brave steps. And I, yeah. I, 
I fully believe that, you know, when we take this class, it's not just for ourselves. Um, it's for those that we love because when we change, we bring change. And it, it's, yeah. it's asking us to change in terms of looking at patterns that we may have or influences that we may now want to question into in a space that you will be welcomed and encouraged because it's a um, it's a celebration of all of who we are in our own culture and and loving up other cultures and learning about them and you do that in such a isn't masterful it, way but isn't it a, a pleasure and a gift to learn about others it can right? be. It I can mean, be. And yeah. to, what the gift, I think, more than anything else, is letting go of the fear and having something be bigger than the fear. And what's bigger, yeah. I believe, and you know, I've always said this is about the connection. And that when we, I was going to say, yes, it. yes. And that when we are able to understand other cultures, we get to connect in a deeper way yes. with that. You're so and, right. and it doesn't take away with who we are. It, it enlarges no. who we are because we yeah. are able to see what are our shared values. What, right. And what, you couldn't think about it as a point of light when you mm -hmm. say it enlarges who we are. I'm one point of light. You're one point of light. When we join and connect, we become a bigger point of light. Mm -hmm. But it, and, and as you say, though, it isn't easy. We have to struggle with um, things that uh, are unconscious that we have to bring up to conscious level. Uh, take, and I think that's why the journaling is so welcome because they they're questions that you ask of yourselves. When was the first time? When did when did you when did this occur to you? What decisions did you make? And we can go back and remake different decisions for ourselves um, without it being shame based. And that's so important to me is that um, we there there is such an inclusive. A demonstration of what inclusion means through through your um, your programs, and I just want to commend you yes. on that. Thank you so much for that, Lori. And you know, we try to ensure that people have the psychological safety they need to grow. You know? And with that, on nine eleven, um, both Melissa and I encourage you to be um, thinking back and remembering, but also looking forward. Where do we go from here is a theme that uh, the Diversity Institute's all about. And I think it's a decision that we can make every day. Uh, so stantonadams.com, please go to it. Consider signing up either as an individual for their program that they have on the foundations of anti-racism or consider uh, going to the three-day executive summit, which will be absolutely fabulous. And Melissa, thank you for all that you bring to the AM 950 audience in your insights and your thoughtfulness and your reflections. We appreciate all that you bring. Well, thank you, Lori, and thank you for bringing this radio show to the world because it's nothing like making a great connection. Absolutely. Have a great week. Stay connected. Get connected. Find ways to connect with others. And join us next week for Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.